Hey, good morning, online campus. We are in the last week of our series, All In. And as a church, we spent the last two months unpacking the generous character of God, what it means to be all in for Him with our time, finances, and our gifts, and how we might embody as a church Jesus' radical love for the sake of our neighbors. And whether you are a follower of Jesus, spiritually curious, or don't care about religion, I think today's message will matter for you because regardless of where you are at with faith, I'm willing to bet that we can all agree on these four things coming from N.T. Wright. One, we want a world set to rights. Two, we desire relationships that matter. Three, we yearn for more than what we can see, possess, and explain. And four, we want to celebrate, cultivate, and create what is good, beautiful, and kind. And we believe that the only worldview capable of addressing these four desires is the story of Jesus Christ. Because in this story, we are introduced to a God who was, is, and will continue to be all in for us. Who invites us to a life that is all in for him so that we might partner with him in making holistic justice, fulfilling relationships, real spirituality, and ongoing beauty the norm and not the exception in our world. But what does, it what does it mean to partner with God? What does that look like? What's an example of a life that is all in for him? Well, I don't think there's a better demonstration of this than Paul of Tarsus. And this morning, I want to spend a little time looking at his life around the time he wrote the letters to the Philippians. Uh, in American Christian culture, Paul's letter to the Philippians is usually packaged in one of three ways. Uh, one, it gets turned into a study or sermon series on joy. Uh, two, it becomes the go-to Bible verse for athletes, see Tim Tebow. Or three, it can be a pithy sign or decorative piece you can find at a store like Hobby Lobby. Now, I'm not saying that joy isn't a major theme of this letter. Paul, after all, uses the word joy or rejoice, I think 16 times in only 103 verses. Nor am I suggesting that athletes can't use the verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me because Lord knows Tim Tebow needed that verse. But my point is that with all the focus on joy, touchdowns, and bathroom decor, it is easy to overlook the fact that Paul wrote Philippians from a Roman prison. And there were few things worse in the first century than an imperial incarceration because upon arrest, uh, prisoners were stripped and flogged, and then bound in chains, and then they would be placed in cells with little light, no food, unless you had great family and friends that visited, uh, minimal uh, water, very little personal space, really cold temperatures, and worst of all, toilets were rare or non-existent, and some of them had the mentors. So as you can imagine, people tended to get sick in prison, suffer extreme emotional distress, or even before they got to their trial, they would die. So it's without question that if you lived in the first century, uh, you don't want to end up in prison. And if anyone gave you advance warning that what you are doing might get you arrested, then the smart thing to do would be to stop that thing you're doing. But then you have Paul, who ignores the warning he receives from a guy named Agabus. Side note, uh, Agabus is one of those obscure characters in the New Testament who only shows up twice, and both times he doesn't have anything good to say. Uh, the first time Paul meets Agabus, he's told that an empire-wide famine is coming. 
so you would think the second time around, Paul would avoid eye contact with Agabus, sort of like the same way I don't associate with Girl Scout Cookie Sales Associates, because as soon as I see them, I know I'm going to be out $20 minimum. But Paul, being a better person than me, engages Agabus, and this is what he has to say. Uh, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, uh, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. If I was Paul, I would probably respond, well, hey, thanks for the heads up, Agabus. Uh, I like having three meals a day, my personal bubble, and a functioning toilet, so I'll just chill here and stay out of Jerusalem. But Paul decides to head to Jerusalem nonetheless. And you might be wondering why. Well, the basic answer is that he had an offering collected from non-Jewish churches, including Philippi, to give to those in Jerusalem who were struggling. But there's more going on here than meets the eye. This isn't just about handing over cash. Uh, this is about Paul making a point. You see, the hot-button topic that dominated the early first century was what to do with the Gentiles, that is, non-Jewish uh, Christians who wanted to follow Jesus. Uh, many Jewish Christians felt that the answer was really simple. Uh, Gentiles should either become Jewish uh, by observing circumcision, food laws, and other cultural markers, or they should get out of town. But Paul uh, was adamant that such ideas compromised the gospel. Jesus didn't come to save Jews and, then, and segregate non-Jews, but his death and resurrection put to death the ethnic hostility between them. He refused a nationalist gospel, a Jew's first gospel. And so when the Gentiles were met with exclusion, Paul decided there was only one way to respond to outdo the Jewish churches in showing honor and love. In other words, Paul's offering was a way of saying, you may have kicked us out, you may not consider us equal, but we are still going to serve you even though it costs us and hurts us, because according to Jesus, you Jews are our family, and we can't treat you like anything else. And here's the thing, the offering strategy works. The Jerusalem leaders are moved and they start praising God, but unfortunately, not everyone is a fan of Paul. And when a few Jews recognize him, they start shouting, look, here's the troublemaker. Here's the Jew hating Jew. Here's the guy teaching lies and defiling our holy place by bringing non-Jews into it. So let's kill him. And so they grab Paul and then start beating him until the Roman soldiers rush in to settle things down. And because they don't know what to make of this whole situation, they arrest the troublemaking Paul. One thing leads to the next. And eventually Paul ends up in a prison in Rome. Eventually, word of what happens to Paul uh, gets to the Christians in Philippi. And I can imagine that people were shocked, horrified, angry, and even a bit scared. It says a lot about this church that they rallied to send food to Paul, but it's without question that in the back of their minds, they were probably wondering, was this all for nothing? Uh, did Paul, our friend and teacher, the best of us, fail? And if that's the case... What, what hope do we have? So here's the crazy thing. It's after 
all this that the Philippians receive a letter from Paul, postmarked from prison, saying to them, I will rejoice and I can do all things. Why? Because for Paul, what matters is not that he was beaten, not that he was in prison, not that he was misunderstood, not that his own people betrayed him, and not that he faced the possibility of death, but what mattered was that because of everything that had happened to him, the message of Jesus' victory over sin, evil, and death has reached the capital, has reached the ears of King Nero. And so that means it's only a matter of time that this world-altering, life-giving, good news of Jesus Christ will reach every neighborhood of the empire. And so as far as Paul is concerned, he has every reason to rejoice. Because the same God who used a Roman cross to save the world is the same God who is about to bring hope, healing, and resurrection power out of Paul's Roman chains. Paul wants the Philippians to understand that his suffering is not proof of God's faithlessness or failure because God himself suffered and chose sacrifice and humility as a path to victory. To double down on this point, Paul quotes what many scholars believe is one of the first hymns ever written about Jesus. It goes something like this. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Talking about humility, suffering, and sacrifice in Philippi is sort of like talking about uh, vegan diets and pacifism at Bass Pro Shop. The topic and the location are like oil and water. Philippi was the place where Augustus destroyed his enemies on the way to becoming the OG emperor. It was home to all the soldiers who won that battle and their descendants. Think about JBLM++. And the city was exceptionally wealthy uh, due to its mining industry. In other words, Philippi was a city of winners. And winners were those who conquered and who dominated and who produced results and had great spices and had all the privilege. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, take all those ideas and toss them out because those ideas are good if you want to win like Augustus, if you want to rule a kingdom for about 40 years and hurt a lot of people along the way. But if you want to partner with Jesus and bringing healing and justice into your community, if you want to rule in a kingdom that will last forever, if you want to win like Jesus, then you're going to have to redefine what victory looks like. Because here, victory looks like a cross. It looks like a prison cell. It looks like 
all-in sacrifice and surrender with no guarantees, you will live to see the new things God will do tomorrow. Now, here's the thing. If Paul never went to Jerusalem, God still would have finished what he started. Let's not get this twisted. God did not need Paul to spread the news of his love, forgiveness, and reconciliation. God's mission was not contingent on Paul being at the forefront of breaking down ethnic barriers, but because Paul was all in. God was able to reach millions of people over 2,000 years in 2,341 languages through Paul's prison letters. And God's invitation is not only for Paul, not only for the Philippians, but he invites each generation of the church to do the same, to be all in, to have the mindset of Jesus, to imitate Jesus and not clinging on to what is ours by right, but allowing God to use all that is ours to elevate others, to lift them up, to bless them, encourage them, save them, and honor them. So in a bit here, we are going to conclude our all-in series by inviting all of Rainier View to prayerfully consider turning in a commitment card uh, as a way of imitating Jesus and not grasping onto but letting go of what is ours by right when it comes to our finances. But let me just pause right here and say a few things about this. Uh, first of all, what matters is not the quantity of your commitment, but the quality of your commitment. Remember what Jesus says when he sees a widow offer two coins. This poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she lived on. In other words, the quality of your commitment is relative. If $1 a month feels like a Jesus-side sacrifice, then you are all in. You get to be a part of this too. And if $100,000 a month causes you no discomfort, then I know this is going to sound crazy and counterintuitive and rusty might fire me, but don't turn that card in because that will do nothing for your discipleship and that won't help you become more like Jesus. And honestly, this is what it's all about. It's becoming more like him. And second, if, if all of this feels uncomfortable to you, then you're not alone. Uh, Jill and I have already submitted our commitment, and the process was anything but easy. In fact, it took us over seven years to go from never giving to a church to only giving to our favorite ministries, to giving 10%, to now putting in a two-year commitment. You see, exercising generosity like Jesus is a journey. And not everyone is going to be at the same place today, but everyone is invited to take a step forward no matter where they are at. And so if you can't do in six weeks what it took us seven years to do, we're not expecting you to make that leap. We're just saying, let's just take that first step. And finally, this is just the first step in accepting this invitation to be all in for the gospel. Because the truth is, Jesus is going to ask for way more than just 24 push pay transactions to rein your view. He's, he's going to ask for your time. He's going to ask you to reprioritize your priorities. He's going to ask you to risk some things and drop some nets. And yes, for some of us, he very well might ask us to lay down our lives. So you might be thinking, well, if that's the case, why would I ever agree to be all in? Well, I don't have a good answer to that. 
but Paul does. And so I'm just going to borrow his language here from the letters to the Philippians. He says this, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the other. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If I lost you there, let me retranslate and localize Paul's words for us today. If you've benefited from RBCC, if you've experienced love, joy, or compassion in this community, if you met Jesus in a powerful way through the unique expression of God's family on, here in Parkland or in Graham or right now online, then are you willing to keep a good thing going? Are you willing to have the same mindset as Christ so that future generations we may never see and never know might say of us, we are all here because they were all in? Each generation of the church gets to decide if they will accept God's invitation to be all in. Right now is our opportunity. God is ready to break down ethnic divisions, bring healing in broken places, remove shame and guilt, overturn strongholds that keep us from worship and enact justice and righteousness here in Pierce County and throughout the world. And some of us will get to see those better days and some of us won't be here tomorrow but we all get a choice today so long as we have breath on whether we play a part in the story of how God is going to redeem and renew all things. And my prayer is, is that like Paul, is that like Jesus, we would be empowered by the Spirit to lay down our lives today, to be all in, that God might use us in ways that will exceed all we can ask or imagine. What this all-in commitment means to me is that I am going to continue to trust in God and the leadership of this church to follow the path that God has walked with his people. The all-in commitment means to us that we're committing to part of growing the church for the next generation. Constantly tithing is something that's always been a priority for our family. This initiative through prayer has challenged our hearts to consider what would it mean for us to give more sacrificially. All in to me, uh, in regards to the generosity aspect, is just giving all that I can back to someone who gave everything he had for me. All in to me means giving up my preferences and just for the better of the community, the church. Is giving back. My life has been very blessed. There's been hardship, but there's been joy, so much joy. And knowing that I have the means to give and to give with all my heart because of what God gives to me, there's just nothing better. I'm, I've had a lot of financial issues that are challenging, and sometimes when I give, I, I feel like that little lady that only has two pennies or whatever. But since all this started, 
God, he's always shown up for me. And so I, I already put in half as much more as I normally give because I know that God's going to take care of it all. Take a risk, you know. I just love this church. Starting to contribute financially like I should be. This all-in commitment has been an answered prayer. God has been working in both our hearts, in me with my nervousness around having enough savings, and in Joe with his struggle with spending and his materialism. Although we are imperfect and lose focus from time to time, at the end of the day, we know that God owns everything in the first place. So we continue to commit to give to him through RVCC with open hearts. It's being less selfish with some of our material wants and desires. We just need to give more. We have seen God be faithful to us many times when we've given beyond what seemed reasonable and we know God will continue to provide for us as we joyfully and willingly increase our giving to RVC for All In. So being wildly generous doesn't mean giving up on everything that I want. It means trusting God with everything and allowing my heart to be changed, which in turn may realign my wants with his heart. Decided to dedicate more of our time as well as giving in a sacrificial way that we have never done before. We're excited for the work God will continue to do for and through the RVCC family. It means going deeper in my faith and being called to fully trust God. Uh, what All In means to us is we get to trust in Him even further right now in, in a new level. And so we are excited about that and about giving more and trusting Him with our finances. A chance to continue my discipleship uh, with Jesus, which includes my resources, um, but also to check my heart and to make sure that, you know, I'm focused on Him. All In means to me being wholly committed right where God put me. All It means to me is a renewing of my commitment and a re-examination of what God is asking me to do. You know, being able to give more than I thought I could and being able to do more than I thought I ever would. It's just more trusting in, in God and not ourselves. And then just being all in for Him and, and just 100% trusting that He's going to get us where we want to be.